yeah, we ended up deciding to move forward and, and some similar, you know, values and outlook on business and things like that. And the one guy, um, actually one of the things that, you know, really resonated with me personally is one of the guys that actually represented um, the, the large trucking company as, as part of it. So he was the one who was in the middle of doing the deal with us between like, you know, Daryl and I, the M the a broker, the trucking company and the private equity. Um, so for, for me, you know, I, I ended up building great relationship with him and, you know, looked up to him as, you know, even a, a, a mentor. Um, uh, but he ended up building up a business, a logistics company similar to ours, but, but a little, but different. Um, but asset light and and sold it to these guys and you know it worked out well for him and he was still with the company five years later you know so um yeah that really gave me comfort that we're dealing with a guy that you know has built up a business he sold it exited it went well um and so that that really gave me comfort that these were the right guys to go with Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. I'm your executive producer, Colin Morgan, and today on the podcast, John Warlow is joined by entrepreneur Josh Davis, who sold his company, Speedy Transport. But before we get there, I would highly encourage you to head over to builttosell.com. As you're going to hear during today's episode with Josh Davis, he's going to describe to you a business model in the trucking company called Asset Light. And for more information on what that is, you can head over to builttosell.com. Also there, you're going to find definitions to some of the lingo that Josh and John are going to use, which... I find really helpful when listening to these types of conversations. And lastly, just a reminder to head over to our YouTube page at Built to Sell Radio, where we're bringing you brand new content in a way that you've never seen before. So go ahead and head over to our YouTube page at Built to Sell Radio to see what we are doing there. Okay, so let me tell you about today's guest, Josh Davis. On his honeymoon of all places in 2015, Josh, alongside his wife and close friend, decided to start Speedy Transport, a trucking company that would ship temperature-controlled products across the country. Now, get this. In their first year, they grew from 2 to 45 employees. Absolutely incredible growth. But about two years in, Josh's wife, who was pregnant at the time with their first child, stated that she no longer wanted to work in the business. And this was the first catalyst in a decision to sell their company. A year later, they successfully sold Speedy Transport in what Davis you'll hear describes as an emotionally draining but financially rewarding exit. Here to tell you the whole story is Josh Davis. Enjoy. Josh Davis, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. Speedy Transport. Tell us a little bit about this business. What did you guys do? Um, yeah, so we were uh, went a few different directions before we actually launched and, and rebranded to Speedy. But um, really, our, our primary business is, is transportation, uh, mainly over the road. Uh, but we did offer rail service. Um, and uh, our, our kind of niche that we specialize in was uh, temp temperature controlled. Uh, food products, so you know a lot of delivering to major grocery stores across Canada. Um, you know, delivering you know groceries, meats, drinks, things like that. Um, uh, we did other modes of 
trans our other products you know we had did flat deck and project work and things like that but really our we, we really special specialized in in the temperature controlled uh food products was got it was, so if was, i'm maple leaf and i've got a skid of bacon that i want to move from i don't know red deer to vancouver yeah i'd call you guys up and you'd give me a quote and you'd move this stuff in a in a refrigerated van or truck that exactly. would show up at safeway and 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 the meat would be dropped off is that am i getting the business model right exactly yeah so we did exactly what you're saying so we did we we had a ltl portion of the business what's ltl stand for uh less than truckload okay got it so it's like yeah like a pallet yeah yep yep and uh so we had a division that did that um so we'd consolidate ltl and then we do full truckload loads of you know beverages or or meat products or did yep. you own the physical trucks or did you contract so, or, with drivers? Yeah. So originally when we, you know, we first launched the business, we, we, we were running trucks. So we we're running about, I think in total back then we were running about 40, 40, 50 trucks. Meaning um, you owned 40 or 50 trucks. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then, um, and then we, um, at, in a, around near the end of 2016, 2017, we ended up um, switching the model to asset light. Um, so what we did was, you know, to turn company drivers into owner operators, um, and then we partnered with, you know, um, we, we went on a pretty aggressive campaign to um, sign up like small trucking companies, you know, m- mom and pop guys, guys that ran anywhere between three to ten trucks, um, and uh, and so that's that's really when when we switched the model. Uh, my my partner Daryl, his, his background's in trucking, so um, uh, his his dad's company that he founded was running a couple hundred trucks and and four hundred trailers. So um, we were kind of working closely with with his dad's company, and then once we kind of figured out our niche and 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 fully kind of launched in in 2017, we went we went asset light. Um, so we did we had no company trucks um, when we rebranded and launched Speedy Transport. Um, we either had owner operators um, or those small carriers, but um, but we did have trailers. So we um, we did an, an acquisition of a company with um, like multi temp refrigerated trailers. So we we did move into that. Um, but yeah, we tried to tried to stay as as asset light as possible. Got it. And and for my edification, that when you say truck, you're talking about the the thing the driver sits in, and yes. then the trailer is the thing that attaches to the back that's refrigerated. Is that right? Yes. So exactly. You, you moved to an asset light model, meaning you did not own the trucks anymore, but you continued to own the trailers, the refrigerators. Yes. yes. Got it. What precipitated the move to asset light? Um, you know what? A, a, a number of factors. Like my my partner Daryl, you know he you know, he, he was in the industry for, you know, 15 plus years, you know, working at his dad's company. And, um, so, you know, he, he ran trucks, you know, pr- pretty much his whole life. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, we, we, we wanted to scale, you know, an, an asset, you know, a long haul company. Um, but once we kind of got into it, you know, it, it was great experience, especially for me, cause I, I didn't come from the industry. Um, but it, you know, it was great experience, um, doing that, but, you know, just for us, it um you know, obviously trucks and trailers are extremely expensive um so in order to keep scaling 
um, you know, you, you can only move as many loads as the assets you have. So that's when we started to really look into like the asset light model and, you know, how we can, can scale faster. You know, our, you know, we really, you know, we're really passionate about sales, customer service, um, and, and we wanted to grow rapidly. So, um, that's when we were kind of, you know, looking into different models and, and, uh, and then we, we, we went in this direction. Got it. That's helpful. How did you and Daryl structure the equity piece? Because it sounded like he was bringing more. I haven't asked you about your background, but it yep. sounded like he was at least bringing a, a, a fairly hefty experience set to the table. Did he get more of the equity because he was sort of bringing more to the table or did you guys kind of half and half it or how did you sort of divvy up the equity in the beginning? Um, so at the beginning, uh, yeah, he 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 definitely had... He had more equity than than I did, um, but it, it was pretty close. Yeah, be, between him and I, because um, also my my wife was part of the business. Um, but then we we actually took over his younger brother's company as well. Pretty soon after the launch of Speedy, and then he he got a piece of equity as well. So yeah, Daryl and I were pretty pr- pretty close in equity. He had, he had a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. How was that? I've always wondered what it feels like to to be have a significant share of your wealth in the company, but not having that control. Like some people are for, like nuts about it. it's got to be fifty one percent. I I, I yeah. don't want to partner unless I own fifty one percent. What 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 did? How did you get comfortable with that idea of owning a little less than fifty? Um, how did I get comfortable? Um, you know what I was. Like even like I've you know I've I've always you know been been an entrepreneur and kind of done 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 my own thing um, and I've had partners before um, where we were equal so I guess in in this case um, yeah Daryl Daryl and my wife and I um, were extremely close friends we we all met at the same church we go to in Vancouver um, so we you know built relationships through that and um, and then both of us you know were. In, in in each other's wedding parties and you know our, our wives became friends and things like that so um you know our, our journey we we um we, we became close friends before we actually went into business together and so that's where you know i just i got really comfortable with him and and he got comfortable with me and 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 my wife and um and uh yeah we we were fine with that and he he, he, he had a little bit more capital and, and some resources that he was able to kind of bring to the table at the beginning. So, um, yeah, I was I was fine with it. And, you know, it partnerships and things like that. It's you know, it, it's like a marriage. So, um, yeah, it's it. You know, I've, I've heard stories from friends where it doesn't go well when you're not in control. But, you know, in, in this case, you know, our skill sets really complemented each other. And it um, yeah, it, it worked out well. Got it. So under the asset light model, how, how, how sort of big did you get this company before you decided to exit? Like what, what, yep. what was the, what did that look like? Yeah. So I, I yeah, I can talk, talk pre, uh, pre-sale. So we ended up the, the deal closed June, uh, June, 2019. Um, so leading up to the sale, we're, we're approximately about 50 million in revenue. Got it. Got it. And so, and that was, uh, you know, uh, almost kind of brokering the the actual, so you, like Uber, you would have drivers that, that you would pay to move the, the, the stuff. Yep. Um, 
So did you think about sort of, you know, when I hear about uh, some industries like Uber, where there's a brokerage model or advertising agencies that buy media on behalf of their clients, it's like they've got the top line number and then there's like a almost like a net revenue number, which is like revenue to the company after you pay the drivers. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, yes. Are you able to yep. share sort of where you guys were at net of having to pay you the drivers? Do you know what I mean? Um, I got to be a little bit careful, but yeah, we, you know, pre, pre-sale, we were, you know, we, we call it gross profit. Yeah. So yeah. We, that may be the better that, number. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For us, it'd be gross profit. We're, you know, 15, 15 to 20% approximately. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's helpful for sure. Um, and, and an employee count, it, like not, not including the contract drivers, but like sort of people on staff at the, in, in the, in the offices. Yeah. The first year we launched, we went from like the three of us to 40. Um, wow. <laughs> the, yeah. Um, and then, you know, when we, when we sold the company, we were up to uh, approximately 80, I'd say 80 kind of full-time, wow. you know, office, office staff, you know, a, a few contractors and things like that. But, um, yeah, that, that was uh, approximately, that was the range. Got it. And, and, and profitable, like how, like were the, how were the margins in the business? Cause of course, trucking is notoriously thin margined. Uh, but it sounds <laughs> yes. like you guys were in a, in somewhat of a protected niche in the, in the, yep. in that you were doing cold storage that you had these trailers. Were you able to drive a better margin that's typical of a trucking company or what was that like? Yeah, I'd say for sure. Like I think, you know, temperature controlled food products, um, still the, the margin, it, it is tough. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a little bit more niche and, you know, obviously when you're dealing with food products and, you know, potential health concerns and things like that, you, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit definitely of a, a premium for that type of transportation. So, um, yeah, I think for us, we were able to, um, yeah, to, to retain reasonable margins, but it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a tough business for sure. And it's, you know, it's, uh, um, it is historically low margins, you know, things are better, I think in the industry right now. And actually it's like, it's significantly higher. Um, but, um, but yeah, we, we were fortunate enough where we weren't too low, but, um, but still, you know, we had to, you know, really push, you know, customers and sell on, you know, service and, and we tried to be a little bit of a, a premium customer service, um, type company and built our own technology and things like that. So, um, we, we definitely weren't the cheapest. Um, we, 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 we weren't the highest. I think we were like, you know, m- maybe like medium, medium to high was, was our kind of, our, our, our kind of range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. And, and did you have any sense as you grew, uh, it, you and Daryl may have had these conversations. Did you guys have any sense of what it might be worth at some point? Like, were you working on any benchmarks from the industry around, you know, multiple of gross profit or gross, multiple of net profit or you know what what were you starting to think about in terms of valuation um yeah so we we actually did f- five uh five acquisitions in the in the two years um s- smaller deals and um you know comp- a couple that were actually in distress or um you know a company that i, I mean a couple that 
you know, we're being run kind of old school, no technology and, and things like that. The, the industry's really shifted to being techno- technology focused. So, um, yeah, we through that, we actually learned a lot, you know, on, on you know, evaluations of, of trucking companies. Typically, like, asset, fully asset-based trucking companies, you know, on, on the deals that we were looking at, um, a lot of them were, were really just selling for asset value. Um, yeah, so really, yep. yeah, so that typically in traditional asset base, you know, the, 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 the owners, you know, they make money off buying equipment and trailers. And if they're, you know, fortunate enough to buy land, um, cause obviously having trailers need a lot of land. They, they usually make money in their real estate is, is kind of what we found through these acquisitions. Did you guys um, have real estate? You were asset light. So did, did you own your, the dirt that you you're on or? We did. So Daryl and I, you know, form, formed a, a partnership, and we had a couple other partners as well, um, owning industrial real estate. So that that was a separate business. Um, that okay. was kind of a a side strategy for us. And obviously, we learned, and Daryl knew through being in the industry that you know that that's kind of a a, a good avenue for us to go. So we we did that early on. We bought a a building and a warehouse in Annesis Island um, early on in the the venture. Got it. Got it. So just to go back. So these asset based, in other words, they own the truck. They're yep. usually not getting any uh, kind of goodwill as accountants talk about it, meaning like the, the, the improvement over top of the asset value. They're really just selling for parts, if you will, the, the, the cost of the trucks, the land, the equipment and so forth. So, so a lot of the com, yeah, John, a lot of the companies we were looking at, I'd, I'd say yes. Um, yeah. you know, some of the ones that we didn't, uh, end up acquiring wanted, you know, a significant um, goodwill payment, which, you know, some of them actually d- deserved it. But we were kind of at a stage where, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of capital. All of our capital was, you know, tied up in the business. And since we were growing so rapidly, we didn't have a lot of cash flow. So, um, but yeah, it, you know, typically I'd say, you know, asset value. But, um, but yeah, if they're running, you know, well and have decent margin, there, there can definitely be a, a goodwill component to that. And, and, and what would that typically be like a multiple of gross profit or net profit or how would you become a kind of come up with evaluation? So I, I'd say in, in our industry, I mean, in, in the ones we were looking at, it's a little bit different in, in, in the US, but I'd say typically like kind of like, a, you know, a, a company that's just kind of founded to being, you know, in the business for like five to seven years, the multiples are like 3.5 to maybe six of EBITDA. Um, that That's typically kind of the deals that we were kind of looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say 3.5 to, to six. And then um, once you get over a certain threshold and like in the US, I've heard, you know, asset light companies, um, you know, going for like, you know, seven, eight multiples. Uh, but usually those ones are, you know, have been in business for, for, for a longer, longer period of time. Got it. So when you're referring to three and a half to six times EBITDA, you're referring to, so there's more like asset light businesses that have, that have profits that are, that they're placing a yes. value on. Yeah. Got it. Or, or, or the asset based trucking, trucking company that, um, you know, they are running a, a decent net margin that, you know, obviously they'll, they'll look at, you know, what, so say they're getting five, f- five times EBITDA and then they look at, you know, the, the asset value. Um, so that's typically where the kind of the, the goodwill payment would come in. Like if it's performing really well and they're, you know, doing a, a decent margin, 
Um, and yeah, there, I've actually, you know, I, I know a few companies that, um, you know, asset that have, have, have exited and done extremely well, mm. um, running the full, full, full asset based model. Um, and those guys, those guys can get up to, yeah, I'd say a six, 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 six multiple of EBITDA. Yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, and this varies by industry. So to my listeners, I'd encourage you to, you know, you know, find out, um, uh, how it works in your industry, but but in most of the industries that I've uh, seen, if the valuation is going to be based on a multiple of EBITDA, it's usually assumed that the assets are uh, owned by the business and required to generate the EBITDA. So you don't exactly. get to double dip. It's a multiple exactly. of EBITDA or you can sell the the assets of the company, but but you don't get a multiple of EBITDA plus a price for the assets. It, 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 is that the way it works in trucking as well? Yes. Okay. Just so people are clear, if you happen to have a lot of assets in your business, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a multiple of EBITDA plus the value of your assets. Usually the acquirer will take the position that in order to generate the, the EBITDA, you need the assets and therefore they are included in the price. Uh, it yes. does vary in certain industries. So talk to your advisor. Um, super helpful, Josh. That's a little inside baseball that I wanted to get underneath again. I don't know the trucking industry well. Uh, so you guys are bouncing along. You're growing like stink. You're buying yeah. other companies. Um, you're, you're 50 million on the top line. Gross profit uh, might be 15 or 20% on that. And, and you're, so you're looking in the marketplace and, and companies are, you know, companies like yours are selling it, you know, like pretty good multiples, three and a half to six, maybe yeah. as much as seven or eight if, if it's uh, in the US and it's been around for a while. That's good context. So what triggered you guys to want to sell? Because, you, you know, um, you're a young guy. So I'm surprised, you know, yeah. you, you sold so early. What 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 happened? Well, there was a num- number of factors, um, John. It, one, one of the big things kind of um, personally for, for me, um, like like my wife and I, we, we, we started the business with Daryl a week after we got back from our honeymoon um, in Italy. And, um, you know, we... Uh, uh, awesome experience and, you know, working, grinding with your wife 12 hours a day, like in, in our business, it's, you know, 24, seven, 365, right? Like it, it, it doesn't stop. So, you know, our, our relationship really revolved around the business, which definitely made us stronger. And, um, and we had a lot of fun and, and obviously a lot of hard times as well. And especially, you know, being newly married and, and, and running a business that that's growing, um, but uh, kind of leading up to to the to actual sale in in June, um, you know, my wife um, my my wife gave birth to our our for our daughter. Um, we have two kids now, but our daughter in uh, in March of 2019. And so, leading kind of leading up to that, um, I remember we were driving to work, and um, and and she told me, you know, when 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 I have when I have her baby. Um, you know, I, I don't think I want to continue on in the business. And, um, and I, I was, uh, I was a little bit shocked. Um, you know, I, we didn't even really think about it or talk about it. And, huh. um, and she was such a key role in the company, um, that, uh, that, that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, but then when we talked through it, her, you know, she was raised on her farm and, you know, her mom was a stay at home mom. They started a, you know, a, a logging company. And so she saw like, you know, kind of what that did and, 
everything revolving around the business. And fortunately enough, her mom was able to stay home and, and still work in the business from home and, and raise the kids. So, um, yeah, so she, you know, came to me and, and said that. And, and so we, we built our own software that we can talk about after, but she was really involved in, in the building of our software. So she said, you know, if, if I do come back to work, I'd like to continue working on, on the software. So that was kind of like the first, you know, indication. And then, you know, we, we talked to Daryl about it and, and that, you know, he, you know, he, at, at that point we had other people kind of, we were making waves in the industry. So we had people approaching us and, asking to you know joint ventures mergers sales things like that so we we were getting people to start to approach us and obviously m a brokers and things like that were you know knocking on our doors and and so yeah so that was that was a factor for me personally and and then also for us like we you know all of our money was tied up in the business everything we had was in the business and in our business you know we've we, you've got to pay obviously your your employees and your drivers and your carriers and things like that. and some of them you know you pay them you know within a, a summer next day if it's you know short shipments or um you know some people weekly and then others w- at least within 30 days so you know to continue to to fund the growth um we were kind of getting to the point where everything was going into the business and at some point it would have it would have hindered hindered our growth for sure and you know, a lot of the, you know, U.S. companies that are similar to ours, um, you know, most of them are backed financially by some sort of equity company or partner or something. So just because it's a cash, you know, it's thirsty business. Uh, I want to get back to cash for a second, because I I think that's interesting to explore. But before we go there, um, I'd love to explore uh, this relationship that you had uh, with the business and your wife. So to, to here's what I'm hearing you say is that you're off in Italy and you and your wife and Daryl start the company together. Now, when t- sometimes I do interviews for Pixel Radio and I, and I hear people refer to their spouse as their partner and they're really partners by virtue of the fact they jointly own the assets that they own as a couple, but yeah. the other half of the relationship, the spouse, is not an operator in the business. They might be a shoulder to cry on at some point. They, you know, yeah. they're they're an advisor, but they're not in the business. It sounds like, as I'm hearing you describe it, though, in your case, it was different. Your wife was v- a- an Very equity active. holder, a partner, and an employee. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. So she she didn't have equity you know obviously through my kind of holdings and things but you're married together yes yes exactly yeah um she was an employee yes she and she was yeah definitely uh uh um a key a key part of the business especially at the beginning yeah 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 what did that feel like to have your I know, I know there's a, like a rational explanation. She grew up in a farm, like yeah. you want to stay at home mom. Like I get all that. But at the same time, I'm curious to know what it felt like for you to hear that she wanted to step away as an employee. What was that like? Um, you know, it, it was, John, it was, it was hard um, because you know, um, you know, we, we really, she was an integral part in, in building up the business. And <clears throat> so, yeah, for me, that was, um, it, it I, I was surprised once we kind of went through it all, but the, the initial, I was definitely shocked. I was like, 
you know, like really, like, you know, is, is that, is that really what you want to do? And, um, and, and she did, and I, she even, you know, had, had a few tears and she's like, you know, I love the business, but you know, I want to, <clears throat> I want to support you and Daryl, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to have to, you know, be grinding in, in operations, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. I want to be there for the kids. And, and even in my mindset at that point, you know, we didn't even have a lot of capital. All of our capital was, was in the business. So like, even me thinking about that, I'm like, you know, on paper, you know, it, it seems like we're doing really well. And people think, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're running a business and you must have tons of cash. And, um, the truth is we didn't, um, we were, we were just kind of getting by each month, um, and, you know, injecting capital when, when we, when we could to make sure, you know, everything kept turning. So, um, yeah, I was kind of like, you know, how, you know, how are we going to do this, you know, without your income and, you know, and things like that. But, um, um, yeah, so that was one of the factors where I kind of led down the path with Daryl to agreeing to moving forward with, with the sale. And, and he was more, um, he was more for it at the beginning and I, and I, I, I definitely struggle with it, but, but my wife factor was, was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I can remember my first employee as an entrepreneur, this goes back, uh, I don't even want to say how many years, 25, 27 years ago. And she and I were not a couple. We were, I hired her full time. She was a, a part of the business, but it was, it was a very, um, intense experience because the the business was like required 14 hours a day from both of us to get it, get it going. Yep. And she quit. And I remember feeling like I'd been broken <laughs> up with by a girlfriend. Again, I want to reiterate, we were not in any way romantically uh, involved, yep. but it kind of felt like, what do you mean you're quitting? <laughs> like, yes, yes. And so, so I'm trying to now imagine my wife doing that and having all of the complicated emotions associated with that. I would think it would be really tough. Yes. It, it, was, t- it was honestly, it was like a, a shot in the gut. Like I was just really... I was just taken back and I remember even like, you know, I, I called her mom um, and I, I've, you know, really close with her mom and I just, you know, and I talked to her about it and, and um, yeah, and, you know, we, we, she, she said, you know, Loretta's seen, you know, me be a stay at home mom and even though, you know, having a farm and things like that, it's, it, it is like, and, and three kids is, and plus, you know, working in the business behind the scenes and she just said, Hey, Loretta's going to support you and, it's good to be there for the kids if you guys are, you know, blessed enough to be able to do that and then and things like that. So that kind of she she gave me some 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 wise counsel on that. Um, but my uh, wife would kill me if I ever called her mom for <laughs> advice. I can't believe you got away with that. <laughs> I did. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. I, I'm I'm really close with her mom. Her mom's like a, a big supporter of of us. So um, awesome. yeah, she she's she's great. That's awesome. I should have asked this earlier, but it's I mean, you brought cash flow up, and the fact that the business was thirsty for cash, and all your sort of a lot of your family proceeds were just being pushed back in the business. So, so if I'm uh, Maple Leaf, for folks who don't know Maple Leaf brand, it's a uh, they sell bacon among other products uh, in Canada. So if I'm Maple Leaf and I hire you guys up and say, hey, I want to uh, ship a skid of bacon from. Red Deer to Vancouver. How does the cash move? When does Maple Leaf pay? Yeah. And when do you have to 
outlay the cash to the driver. Um, and sure. I, I guess to the driver, like when, when did the cash payments happen? You know, typically, you know, um, like for, for our, 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 our really good customers that are kind of up on paying it's, it's 30 days, but really once we actually get paid, it's, you know, even the 30, it turns out to be about 45. Okay, so um, the Maple Leaf, the butch, the, the company with the bacon, yep. they call you up, say, you know, send a truck to Red Deer. I want to move the stuff to Safeway yes. in Vancouver. The clock starts ticking then, and 45 days later, you get the check from Maple Leaf. Yes, yes. When do you have to pay the driver? Um, so it depends. At, for sure, 30 days is kind of when when we got to pay the driver. After they stuff off at Safe, Safeway. Y- Yes, but okay. we do have other programs where, you know, some, especially um, more transactional guys that work with us, um, they actually would want to be paid next day. So we wow. would do that. So um, this is this is a very thirsty business. The faster you grow, the more cash you're sucking up, even though the, on the top line, it looks great. It, it's thirsty for cash. It's like, John, so, so thirsty. And, and, you know, 30 days is 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 best case terms, like in, in, in transportation, 60 90 wow. um there, there's one anyways I, I i should be careful but there's there's a big customer it's like 120 days which is just wow. you know it it makes it very difficult to and to, how do you finance that i mean how did you finance that gap um so we've a line of credit so we, okay. we we had to keep extending our line of credit and personal guarantees and you know obviously mortgages and things like that um personal capital just keep you wow. know everything we, everything we could to keep it going and, and and the thing was john on paper we, we were doing well but cash wise you know we were we were struggling um and uh and even to the point where like you know when people would ask us for raises and things like that and you know because you, you see all this growth um you know and and you know 40 people in the office you know within within a year and thinking, you know, all oh, these guys must have tons of cash, you know, I'm going to hit them up for a big raise, which, you know, we, we would raise as much as we could. Um, and then that, then we actually came up with a profit share structure for the ops team, which really helped us kind of skip, I think was, was kind of a key, one of the key parts in helping us scale, but it was, it was stressful for sure. And with the profit sharing scheme, I mean, did you, what, what level of, of detail did you reveal for your employees? Did yeah, for so for profit share, um, we played with a different mo- couple models, and and um, you know really the the reason why we came up with the profit share is because you know um, uh, Daryl and I, you know, I ran operations. Daryl kind of focused on sales, but I did a lot of sales as well. I enjoy sales. I, I enjoy building relationships, and so the problem we were having was when we land a you know a, a big sale, and you know we're going after you know Fortune five hundred companies and things like that when we bring it into the business um, and we want to continue growing and focusing on sales, um, we kept being the main point of contact. So, you know, even though we had the the team, you know, dispatching the loads, you know, when there's an issue, they'd always call our cell phones and, you know, Daryl and I are on the road in Toronto and New Brunswick and Montreal and Calgary. And, and so we're like, how do we, you know, start getting the operations dispatch team to start thinking like owners um, so we, you know, came up with a bunch of different strategies and figured it out. We tested a few things and then we ended up, you know, coming up 
with, um, you know, they had a target that they needed to hit and that basically, you know, covered, you know, their wages, the lights on, things like that. And then but what, what was the target tied to? Gross profit. Gross profit. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. 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 So it was really easy. It was easy for them because, um, and, and then I designed a, a function in our software that we built to enable them to see their real time results. And so they would be able to go into their, into, into their, their, their portal to see kind of what they're doing and how their accounts are doing and, and things like that. So it, it, um, it helped them. So they would get a, you know, a, a piece of anything above X amount. And, um, and then once, once we did that and we did it uncapped as well. So we did kind of uncapped, um, I, I guess you could call it, we call it profit share, but kind of commission on that. And, um, man, it, it totally, totally changed the game of our business and, and had people thinking like owners and, you know, really, you know, negotiating well and, and also making sure that, you know, accounts are paid up and things like that with customers. And, um, and, and it also built kind of a, uh, a bit of a competitive culture and people were kind of driving to, you know, set their record for gross profit and, um, and yeah, it, uh, it, and then for us, it was great because, you know, um, you know, we, maybe we couldn't give a significant raise in, in salary at that point, but when we implemented the profit share, it became a win-win for the company and for, for, for the, the staff. Did it also create two classes of citizens inside your company? Those that participated in the profit sharing plan and could, you know, could participate in the game and the fun of, of gross margin and those that had jobs, you know, in marketing or in accounting yep. where they, you know, they just, you know, they, they just didn't have the kind of jobs that would allow them to participate. Did, did you run into that sort of two class of citizens? And if so, how did you kind of deal with it? Uh, we, we definitely did. So, so to kind of compensate that we, we'd give like year end bonuses. Mm -hmm. So obviously it wasn't, you know, tied to, tied to a metric, you know, what get measured is, is always better. Um, sure. and so we kind of had the vision of getting everyone in the company, um, on, on profit share. And so the first focus was operations. Cause obviously if that grows, then there's going to be more cash to, uh, and, and opportunities for everyone in the company. And then, then we did roll out our accounting manager was able to roll out, um, different structures for the billing department and, and, and admin and things like that. So, um, so that, that started to happen. Um, but yeah, it um, it did create a bit of a challenge because obviously even on, on, you know, the billing and min side, it was, um, you know, not, not as, I, I obviously not as lucrative as on the operations side. So one of the things we, you know, to, to, to try to, um, you know, not, you know, favor operations to billing, we, we offered everyone, anyone who wanted an opportunity, they could come into operations and we were growing extremely fast. So we had a number of people move from the, you know, billing administrative team over to the operations team. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's that, a built-in incentive too, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. You you've referenced a couple of times this software, and I know yeah. that is is something that that we're going to talk about later as well. But I just want to understand uh, what did the software do? Uh, again, I'm I'm a neophyte when it comes to trucking, but I'd imagine you you'd have like a billing platform like QuickBooks or something like that where you send invoices. Yeah, so what, like, what is yeah. what was the software specific that you created? What what did, what did, what does it do? Yep. So like basically, you know, running a company, you need dispatch software, right? So something to in intake the order 
put in the system, tracking, um, and then obviously billing and, and things like that. So um, we, we tried a number of different softwares in the industry and, um, and, and couldn't really find anything that, that really met our needs, um, and especially because we really want to customize it and make it you know, very user friendly um, and things like that. So, you know, we tr- tried a number of different softwares in, in the industry and, and, uh, Daryl, you know, really wanted to, to build software. Um, and, and, and so did my wife. I actually, t- to be totally honest, I was kind of against it at the beginning, especially Let's just because, use something off the shelf. There's a bunch of software packages out there. We can yep. make do t- totally. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I can't take, I love the software now, but I can't take any credit for that. I was resisting. I'm like, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling with cash flow, like, you know, programmers are very expensive. How are we going to do this? And how much did and, you invest in creating the software did, ballpark? Oh, um, signi- significant amounts. Um, Six figures, seven figures kind of thing. H- hundreds of thousands. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and increasing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got um, it. And, and, and so my wife, you know, she, uh, previously does start in the business. She was working at Hapig Lloyd, one of the biggest shipping companies in the world. Sure. You see she the had big a, containers on the ships and yep. all the movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she had a you know a business degree from UBC and and she majored in transportation logistics. So she loved the industry. And at Hapig Lloyd, she, you know, she was, you know, g- growing in her career there before she left for us to start the business. And um and she got involved in the software at Hapig Lloyd and and she became a super user and, you know, she'd go for training and then come back and train, train, you know, the team members and things like that. And, and she really, really liked how, you know, software can automate processes and, and, and make the experience better for the users. And, and so she was really pumped on it. Um, and I, I liked all the ideas. I just didn't like the amount of money we'd have to spend, you know, for pro at one point we had four, you know, full-time, uh, programmers, oh. Um, and so, yeah, basically that, that was it. And then we made a decision, uh, between the three of us that, you know, we're, we're going to do this. And then the other thing we wanted, you know, um, John was, we wanted to attract good talent. You know, we wanted to attract people to the industry that, you know, it's changing now, but when we, you know, when we started like old school, you know, yeah, dirt under your fingernails, it's a tough business. It's tough, yeah, yeah, hard, yeah. hard, like hard culture, things like that. And you know, we really, really, we really wanted, you know, a, a family atmosphere, driven, passionate, still be humble, but, you know, respectful was, was a big one for us, you know, mm-hmm. people feeling valued and respected. And, and so, um, yeah, we really felt if we built our own technology and made it really user-friendly that we could, um, you know, hire people with no industry experience that when they come in and the way that our software is designed, it can train them really easy, easily of our industry. And so, um, that part for me, um, yeah, got me really excited as well. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, if we're tech tech focused, That's you know, cool. we can we can attract you know m- more talent and 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 we did. You know, we got a lot of people right out of university and things like that, and and uh, we're fortunate to get extremely talented people. And um, and yeah, I think you know there was many different factors, but being technology focused was I think very helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And and I'd love to come back to how the proprietary software uh, played a role in your exit and and, and the future uh, that you guys have. Before we do that, though, I, I want to share a personal experience and then also just get your vibe on this or your reaction to this, you know. So I, 
I can remember um, when my wife and I uh, were were newly married. Um, we we started renting like the second floor of this house, <laughs> and then we I think we bought a duplex. We rented out the, the half. Like it was, we were bootstrapping, right? In 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 the true sense of the word, and didn't have any money. But we were sort of, I, and I was trying to start a business and try to figure things out, and you know, spinning yep. all the plates and so forth, and. Uh, you know, we'd have good months and bad months, but it never really mattered because our burn was so low. Like she had a job, I I'd had my job. And so we, we, you know, it was all good. Yep. I had a kid. We have two kids, but I had my first kid and like something primal in the back of my brain flipped the switch. <laughs> and yes. all of a sudden I went from kind of laissez-faire, kind of let's figure it out along the way, lose a little bit of money one new, one month, there's no big t- to like my job is provider. Yes. I am put on this earth to make sure this little creature yes. is cared for. And nice. I, like I, I, to this day, I, I can't, I can only describe it as primal. It, it was yes. taught to me. I didn't read a book about it. It was like, that's my job. Yes. And so I all of a sudden got, uh, you know, much more disciplined, much more risk averse, I think, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I wondered as you hear me describe that story, you finding out Loretta was pregnant, was there like a hold on a second, I I'm I'm pouring everything we've got on paper mm-hmm. into this business every month. Mm-hmm. And and I got a now I'm a provider of more than just me. There's like a human life on the on the on the table. Yes, Does that yes. resonate with you at all? Or do you? John, totally. It hit, hit my heart. Like, like you're saying the primal, like it for sure. Like that was, and, and like you said as well, like, you know, we, we lived downtown and we had a, you know, a, a small 600 square foot apartment that we lived in. We were just renting and, and, um, you know, our, our date nights were, you know, a takeout at a, a, a cheap place around the corner. And, um, and, and we were, you know, very, very happy then, um, but, you know, busy and, and, and working hard and, um, and yeah, so like then, you know, it, it was just us and that, and that's where, you know, we took the risk. Um, you know, I left the industry that I was working in and my wife, you know, left, left her company and, and so we had no cash flow. Um, and so we just, you know, boot, bootstrapped everything to, to kind of get it, get it to where, where it was. Um, but yeah, definitely once, you know, we, she was pregnant. I really started thinking about that. It, it came over me and, and that actually led to one of the reasons why I was okay with selling, even though I grew to love the industry. Um, I was passionate about it. Um, it was, um, yeah, that, that was definitely a factor. I'm like, you know what? All my money's tied up in here. Loretta wants the flexibility to work part-time from home. Um, and I got to take care of, of this child and, and we want to have more children. And, you know, we, we have another, uh, uh, he's about 11 months now, our son now. Um, so definitely I was like, it, it, it changed my, my mindset. Like I need to, this thing's got to be cash flowing. And so that I, you know, we're, we're able to take care of, of our kids and, you know, we're, we're self-made. We had everything in, you know, we, um, yeah, so that was definitely John, like it changed for me where, when Daryl and I started talking about it, that was definitely a, a, a big factor, which I was okay with selling was definitely my family. 
That's that's super helpful. And was Daryl at a similar stage in life? Like, was he just starting out with kids, or he was he a little further along, or where was he at? Yeah, totally. Actually, very close. So he has two kids as well, in similar age ages. Um, and uh, yeah, he was he he was at that stage. Like he, you know, grew up in the industry. So even though you know our business is only a couple years old, you know, he he'd been in it for you know fifteen plus years, right? Um, you know, starting in the warehouse and forklift driving, and you know, drove for a couple years, etc. Um, so he was kind of um, at a stage where, um, yeah, I'd say it's similar. You know, he's he had the kids and he had a lot of capital tied up in this business and he had, you know, other ventures as well. But this was kind of, you know, um, the, the the main one that, you know, him and I went, you know, all in, you know, 100% effort to, 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 to grow this thing. So, um, yeah, he was definitely kind of ready to um for for similar reasons with family and things like and, that and how did you broach the topic like take me inside the room where were you when you said hey daryl i think i we should look at maybe selling this thing like where were you do you remember that conversation um actually i i do remember the one we talked about loretta um yeah. but uh but previous to that daryl daryl came to me so he he came to me maybe three or four months earlier and 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 you know he was and and we both were getting approached right on linkedin and you know people reaching out to us and and in my mind i was i was kind of ignoring yeah i i was ignoring it because you know i liked owning the business and i loved it um although john we actually did read your book years and years ago so even you know when we were building we were thinking about built to sell and we even we talked when we were trying out different models before we launched speedy we you know we thought about building something and selling it and we were both super excited about it um but then i almost kind of forgot that because i was so involved in the business and like i was you know running operations and you know i was doing all the hiring at the beginning and things like that so um i i, I it's funny I, I, I was I ended up getting so emotionally attached to the business and to the people um, that I totally forgot that we we talked about you know building something <laughs> up fast and selling it one day and then and then he reminded me in a meeting him and I had like hey remember you know w- we did talk about this right um, and so I was like you know and and so I said hey you know what like you know let's just keep going let's see you know what happens um, although when we were studying other companies in the U S you know before we launched this model all of them were backed financially. So, hmm. um, so yeah, that, that was one of the things that we both discussed, but we're like, hey, if we wanna keep growing, where's the money gonna, gonna come from? So we, we kinda knew we were gonna face that one day, but I wasn't ready to have that conversation the months previous to Loretta getting pregnant. Um, but once she did get pregnant, I, I remember I sat down with him um, uh, we, we like, you know, fishing and, and going on the water. So it, it actually started on, on the water. Um, hmm. and, uh, I remember he kind of looked at me, he's like, Hey, maybe, maybe we gotta, you know, start looking, looking, you know, this is going to change, right. You're going to have a baby and Loretta is not going to be your kind of number two. And, um, and yeah, so that's, that's where that happened. And, uh, but yeah, he was, he was definitely, supportive of the sale and and obviously we wanted to do it right and not you know partner with the wrong person and all that stuff so he but yeah he was definitely encouraging through the process and and 
you know, once we talk, we talk through it and we both have business coaches and things like that we talked through it. Like if we want to keep scaling, we had to do something and our company was motivated by growth and things like that. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Where does it go from there? Uh, after that conversation? Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> it goes from there. We, we started chatting to a, a number of different people. We had talked to M and A advisors. We had some meetings with strategic companies, you know, large trucking companies, Canada, US and things that wanted to buy us. So we did a little bit of a, on our, our own. Um, and, uh, and then we, um, we ended up having an M&A broker bring the, the, the actual, the, the, the two people to the table, but one of them was, was the people that we sold to, which is a private equity company in the US. And, um, and then they have a, 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 one of the largest trucking companies in Canada as well. Um, and was that was that advisor that broker working, you know, brokers referred to or M and A professionals referred to having a buy side ma- mandate or a sell side mandate? Uh, buy side mandate being they've been acquired, they've been yep. hired to go find acquisitions. It, yep. In in your understanding, was that M and A professional engaged by the buyer, the acquirer, to find businesses to buy? No, it, he they- actually. He, he had a couple people that were interested, but he wasn't engaged by them. Um, so he, they, they, they do a lot of transactions in, in, in supply chains. So, um, yeah, they approached, he, they, they approached us and said, Hey, we got a couple people that feel it'd be a good fit for you. And then, and then we negotiated kind of a, a fee structure that if, yeah, if the deal got done, then then, then they would get paid a, 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 a fee. Got it. So you engaged with the seminary professionals so that they were representing you in this yes. transaction, yes. although they did have a couple of buyers in mind. Yep. That makes sense. So what was the next step? Did you, like, how many folks did you get on the hook, uh, you know, interested in in the uh, in the business? Um, so we had quite a few meetings, like a lot of like phone and obviously there was teasers sent out and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a substantial amount of that. And then in, in person, like kind of sit down boardroom, you know, people flying across the country and things like that. We had, you know, of serious people wanting to buy it. It was about six, six or seven. Got it. And, and I'd be curious to know in the, the teaser, and the confidential information memorandum that the M&A professional was using, what role did the software play? Was that mentioned that you developed this proprietary software or was it sort of scrubbed out of those that material? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, we were not promoting, I, I don't believe it was in there. Um, and if it was, it would have been something like, you know, software is not available. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't really want to, to, to sell our software. We wanted the ability to potentially pivot into, into software. Um, so yeah, we, we had one private equity company that did want to purchase us, but they wanted the software as part of it. And, and we decided not to, to go that way. Um, but yeah, I can't specifically remember what, what it said about the software. Okay, so th- that was really my question. It, going into it, I should have asked it differently. Going into it, y- you knew that you wanted to carve out that software and sell effectively the traditional trucking asset light brokerage yep. business, um, but 
maintain the ownership over the dispatch software that you created for for future yes got it that's that's super helpful and so where does it go from there you get six meetings people are flying all over the country did you did you was it a classic sort of transaction where the MA professional is trying to coalesce offers at yes. around the same time so you could yes. sort of play one off the other evaluate one off the other what, what, what was that like yep yep so we we did that we we had a couple offers come in and some low low ball offers as well which we we weren't we weren't interested in and, and we weren't we weren't being greedy we knew we've only been in business at that point when we started talking a couple of years in business right so we knew we weren't going to get you know a, a large um a large multiple and that's where we started realizing we'd, we'd have to do an earnout structure because people were you know a little bit scared like how did these guys grow so fast is it going to continue all that stuff so um yeah we we had a a, a, a number of different offers came, came in and um um actually yeah the the one of the i actually was the last meeting we had i actually i was getting kind of frustrated with with the meetings john because um I, you know we're also running the business at the same time right sure. and and so like you're you're focused on growing the business but at the same time you're meeting with people talking about you know selling it so it it was it was hard. Um, and then also, you know, for, for the team as well, you know, we got all these guys in suits coming in through the office <laughs> and looking and, you know, and then we're going to the boardroom and, and things like that. So, um, um, yeah, it, it, it was definitely a hard pro and that was kind of, that was for me, I was like, that was kind of my limit there. Like getting in those last couple meetings, I'm like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I was at a point where I, yeah, I was like, this is, we got to figure out one of these guys. I, I don't want to keep doing, because it's really, it was really distracting from the business. And we were on such a growth terror that um, I, I didn't want to lose, lose sight of that. So we were fortunate. And, and did you feed that information back to the M&A professional saying like, I'm done with this process? Like, did you sort of say like, it's got to, it, you know, we got to bring this to a close? Yeah, at, at one point I, 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 yeah, I, I got frustrated. I remember I, you know, I, I was talking to them and I was like, listen, like if, if, if this isn't going to work out, these guys don't, then I, I'm fine. We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. And, um, was Daryl on the same page or was he more like, no, no, stick with it. Daryl, Daryl, Daryl trusted, trusted me, um, you know, multiple times, you know, he said, you know, I'll, you know, I'll support the decision that, 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 that you want to do. Um, but you know, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Um, um, yeah, he, 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 he felt it was the right move. And, but if, you know, if I really said deals off the table, you know, let's keep going. And, uh, I, I believe he would have done it. Um, what was his operational role at the company at the time? Um, yeah, so he was doing, mainly focus focus on sales like he was hmm. his 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 passion was sales um and he had so much industry experience um he, he's very good at it and very driven um amazing salesperson um and so yeah that that was his that was his focus and so i would run the ops but i would do sales as well so when i would come yeah go ahead no, I, forgive me. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was yeah. curious to know you brought up uh, an issue that I that I I just didn't want to forget to ask you about. How did you explain the guys in suits running around in the boardroom to your rank and file <laughs> employees? 
Um, funny enough, um, not till later people, um, like maybe even a year after the deal was done, they, they, they said, yeah, not many people asked, but a couple of the people, people did, we, you know, I, I can't remember what we said. Hey, we're, we're, we're I actually, we were honest. We said, Hey, we're exploring different options, uh, to look for partnership to, to, to help fund growth and, and people knew, um, yeah. So I, we, we were, we, you know, we, we like to be you know, transparent. Um, and, uh, and at that point we didn't even know which direction we were going and things like that with this. So yeah, we, we, the people that did ask and kind of key employees, we said, we're looking for a partner to help, help fund growth so that we can keep growing this thing. Got it. So you're frustrated. The process is you're taking off the operational ball. You're like, okay, we got to, if these guys don't make an offer, I'm pulling the plug here and getting back to business. Yeah. What happens next? Assuming you got an offer. We did. Yeah. So we, we ended up getting, getting an offer. Um, and, uh, and, um, what happened? Well, we got a few offers, but this one that we actually, we actually liked, um, you know, cause it had the private equity component, um, you know, multi-billion dollar us private equity fund. So they got capital, um, they have logistics and trucking and, you know, the, the, the company we fell under was one of the largest trucking companies in Canada. So it had aspects of money plus some strategic for us. So yeah, we ended up deciding to move forward and, and some similar, you know, values and outlook on business and things like that. And the one guy, um, actually one of the things that, you know, really resonated with me personally is one of the guys that actually represented um, the, the large trucking company as, as part of it. So he was the one who was in the middle of doing the deal with us between like, you know, Daryl and I, the M the M and a broker, the trucking company and the private equity. Um, so for, for me, you know, I, I ended up building great relationship with him and, you know, looked up to him as, you know, even a, a, a mentor. Uh, but he ended up building up a business, a logistics company similar to ours, but, but a little, but different. Um, but asset light and, and sold it to these guys and, you know, it worked out well for him and he was still with the company five years later, you know? So, um, yeah, that really gave me comfort that we're dealing with a guy that, you know, has built up a business, he sold it, exited, it went well. Um, and so that, that really gave me comfort that these were the right guys to go with. Um, and- and how did their offer compare? I know we can't talk specifically about sure. the offer price, but but other sort of qualitative attributes. Uh, how were their offer? How was their offer materially different than the others you received? Yeah. So the other the other the other offers weren't something we would have. There was only one other offer we wouldn't. The other ones were like too low and things like that. It just it just didn't didn't make sense for us. So you we had were some lowball stuff that you had to carve off. Yeah, yeah, we were we were on an upward. That's why it was hard to even evaluate it as because each month it's growing, right? So it's like it was, it was it was challenging. So yeah, the the one company it was that we went with it was it was a it was a it was a fair offer. It was actually it was it was a it was a fair deal. The other one that we were considering was a, a full-on private equity company so no strategic in, in mix with it um and uh it was a pretty good deal um they wanted the software though um the software was a was a big component for them that they were really excited about so once we kind of weighed both options we felt you know if we go this route um 
yeah, we get 100% out of the operating company and then we still have our software to do something with. So that's ended up what, what we went with. But the other offer was, was, was it was a, it was a, it was a decent offer as well. It was just, you know, th- th- this enabled us to, to, to keep, keep our software that, you yeah. know, me personally, I was, you know, my, my wife was really a big part of the process of building it and things like that. So it, it, it was something that, um, uh, yeah, I wasn't ready to let go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Now, with with most private equity deals we've covered on this show, uh, they're usually the kind of deal where they take a majority ownership, 51, 60, 70, 80%, but they ask you to carry some equity through. And again, if we're getting into territory you can't share, that's totally fine. But how did they, uh, how do they structure you staying on? Usually it's either an equity role or some form of earnout, which yep. did they use, or maybe a combination of both? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So, um, in the way that this one was structured, the other one there was equity role in it, but the software component, things like that, it, it, um, we decided not to go with that. Yeah. There, there's no, no, no future equity, but there was an earnout component, um, which I can't talk about details, but. It was a decent, um, yeah. It was it was it was a good kind of earnout package. Obviously, there's there's risks in earnouts. Um, you know, if if um, you know, sometimes I think about it now. It would have been easier to just you know kind of sell and get everything and do some sort of transition out. But um, because you know uh, you know one one of the I read this article in Forbes and it is kind of like that way you know it's like your business you're building up a baby and um it's like giving your baby up for adoption and still living in the same house right and then you know even though with during the earnout we're still totally running the business but you still have you know a boss and there's boards and there's you know all these financial meetings which john it was a great great learning experience for me it was re- like it really helped my you know my, my skills especially on the, the finance side um, but yeah, it's, it's just different. So, um, yeah, the way it was structured, the, the earnout, yeah, we ended up doing an earnout and, um, and, and, but, but most of the companies, any of the ones that were offering it, it, it was going, going down that route anyways. Yeah. Gosh, that is an incredibly good analogy. You read about that Forbes article, giving up your baby for adoption and yet living under the same roof. That is a, if that doesn't paint the picture of what it feels like, I, I don't know what, what does. That's for uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I didn't realize that until later. Like that's when I really kind of realized how I felt like, you know, obviously the business is growing and, you know, we've done really well and things like that. And, um, and and that that ultimately led to my decision to, you know, step down as CEO. Um, it was about three weeks ago um, officially. Was I just you know got to the point where I just realized you know um, I, I don't own the company anymore, and and things do need to change and integrations and all that stuff. Which you know now the company actually has something to to lose, right? Like we got it to a substantial um, point where you know some stability and 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 things that the direction that you know the overall board needs to go it totally makes sense and you know i had meetings with them and and it it totally makes sense and it's you know good for the company and stability and all that stuff and opportunities for growth but i just personally just realized that i'm just not a, a company guy and and to go to that next phase 
I wasn't the right guy to do it. And and to be honest with you, that it was one of the hardest decisions in my life to eventually leave. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I had to do it. And, and Daryl left, you know, significantly. I mean, r- right after the earnout was kind of complete, and so he was gone. And obviously, my wife is gone. His brother left as well. He he was a, a partner as well. And and so I was kind of hanging on and and trying to trying to see if I could you know continue on to take the company to the next level. And then I I realized the integration and things that need to happen. Um, I, I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't have been, been been the right guy for the job. So I I decided. Well, to congratulations step on being back in the land of entrepreneurship. I welcome you back with <laughs> Thank open you. arms. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel good. It's only been three weeks, but uh, good for you. M- m- steps forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've got the, the, the software. And, and so I, I'd be curious to know, and again, I'm not sure um, how, how much of this you were involved in uh, or whether you sort of delegated it completely to the lawyers, but, but how did you uh, legally carve out the software? Like, is that just a uh, a, a, a note in the share purchase agreement or it, like was there a legal structure you had to set up to put it inside like how did you legally do that yep so it had to be yeah it had to be in our our apa agreement it, it had to be apa means what um as, asset purchase agreement okay so it was an asset not a share deal okay that's yes. helpful yeah yes okay, good and um so that had to be in yeah, it had to be a part of that. Um, so it was excluded, and um, and then there's some sort of structure of how things will go forward. You know, once um, once the earnout's done. That's helpful for sure. And did you t- uh, look at with Daryl the pros and cons of an asset deal versus a share deal? Was that part of your evaluation of these offers? Yep. Yeah, we did. Um, we looked at and and. Um, and, and I'm not an accountant, but, um, yeah, w- when we looked at it, it was, it was really the, the, the best way of going about it. Like, you know, there's that, um, uh, that lifetime tax, uh, I can't remember what it was, but basically we, we didn't qualify for that because mm. we were only, only in, in, in business for a couple of years. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's the route we ended up going. Yeah. And, and, and to my listeners, I would just encourage everybody to talk to a really knowledgeable accountant Definitely. <laughs> uh, about the, the after-tax proceeds of uh, various legal structures. Generally speaking, you, you know, a choir could buy your assets or your shares, depending on what tax jurisdiction you're, you are in. There may be, you know, a preferable tax treatment of some forms. So this goes well beyond the kind of scope of what we want to do on this show. But really, it, it is critical to talk to an accountant uh, about the after-tax proceeds of various legal structures, share versus purchase versus asset. And it sounds like you did it in your case and, Definitely, and got yeah. comfortable with that. That's super helpful. Um, Tell us about what's going on now. So you've you've been able to retain this asset being this software, this dispatch software that you created with your wife. Where where are you at now? Where can people learn about that? That kind of stuff. Um, yeah, you can go to our, our website, um, uh, starktms.com. Um, and uh, yeah, it's basically we've uh, we, we've made some updates to it to, to make it a, a little bit better for for the market because it was it was quite customized um, towards our business but 
um, yeah, our listeners can, can go on there and, and request a demo. Um, and uh, yeah, we ha- happy to kind of go through it. And we, we I think the, the unique thing um, about our software, John, was, you know, it was built by, you know, logistics, freight brokers. It was it was it was built. It was built by us, whereas there are softwares that are built by guys that are in, in the industry. But um, yeah, we we've taken kind of a a unique kind of look at it and and making it user friendly and automating processes and customer reports and things like that. So um, yeah, we're we're excited to um, yeah to take that to market. That's that's uh, one one venture that I'm I'm working on right now. And um, um, yeah, how did the private equity acquire treat the land you and Daryl and the partners owned. Did you, in most of these deals I've seen, you basically lease back that for a period of time. Is that the way you structured the, the land piece? Um, so the actual, the, the, the place that we, we moved a couple times because we're growing. Um, we actually started in, in, in the basement of Daryl's dad's trucking company and then you know, knocking down every single wall until um, we we couldn't fit any any more people in there. Um, but uh, fortunately for us, at that that point, um, we didn't own anything that the company was currently o- operating out of. Okay, um, okay. so that was so a that down. was a non factor. It almost happened because we were about to potentially move the team into. Uh, one of our, our our properties, but um, but we ended up n- not doing that. So it. Um, it, it was a non-issue. That's helpful. Uh, are you up for a quick lightning round of uh, of questions to uh, yeah. to wrap us up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, these are five or six questions. I'm just going to ask them. I won't follow up with questions of my own. I just want a quick answer to you. What is the slimiest trick you talked to lots of acquirers in the time that you were sort of shopping the business? What was the slimiest trick that an acquirer tried to use on you? The slimiest trick. Um, trying to think overall i think it was pretty it was pretty good john i think we're pretty fortunate um but yeah i think i think one of the i I think one of the things there was one company in particular that um seemed extremely interested um but i just as we were going through it and the questions that were being i just I, I didn't think I, I I didn't think they were actually interested in what was going on. I think they were actually just trying to get information. And so, as we're kind of sharing, um, I just kind of got this kind of check in my gut, and I'm like, you know, we, it, yeah, I, I I just I really felt that it it wasn't um, it, it wasn't being sincere. And as soon as we left the meeting, I sent Daryl a text and I said, hey, like, you know, let, let let's not meet with these guys again. There, there's debt. They're definitely just fishing for for info and. Um, on, on what we were up to, which, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Heard that one before. Good. Okay. Biggest mistake you made in the process of selling your company. It sounds like it all worked out well, but if you could rewind the tape, what might you do differently? Like, sorry, sorry, say that again. So the, yeah. What, what was, if you could do it all over again, go back to that fishing trip that you were on with Daryl yep. where you're like, you know what, we should, we should, we should look at selling this thing to today. If, if there's one thing you might do differently, 
what would you do? Um, that's a good question. Um, it it's a good question because things were things were happening so fast, and we're still operating the business, and it's it's growing. Um, I I think. Yeah, I think what I, I probably, because we started doing things on our own at first. Um, yeah, I think I would have engaged, I probably would have engaged an M&A advisor earlier. Um, I think I think that's important, especially if you're going to, you know, do the dog and pony show and, and all those things. I think, um, um, yeah, I think it's helpful to get an M&A advisor involved early um, and to be involved in that process and, you know, fish out people that, you know, or just kicking tires and things like that. So yeah, I think, I think that part I, I would have, um, yeah, I think next time, next venture, if it comes to that, um, um, yeah, I, I, you know, interview, find the right M and a broker. And I'm actually doing that right now for potential acquisitions. Um, so I'm actually, you know, hunting and, and meeting different M and a guys and, and trying to find someone that really fits my personality for, for kind of what I'm doing with a, a, my wife and I's family office, some acquisitions and businesses in real estate and um, and investing in businesses and things like that. So um, yeah, definitely get a trusted advisor. It's it, it 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 saves a lot of time and someone to get your back. I I think it's it's very key. Got it. What was the lowest emotional point you reached during the selling process? <laughs> um. Yeah, to be honest, the day we sold, I was in my car in the parking lot crying. Um, I uh, even thinking about it gets me emotional. I, I, um, yeah, I was, I, I was, I was worried. Like I, I, I just, you know, building something up, and I like being an owner, and even though I equal pretty close to equal equity to Daryl, but he had control and. But, um, but I, I still, you know, we're, we're partners that the, the relationship worked well, I was, you know, operating the company and, and so, yeah, I, I knew it was going to be different once we sold, even though I was open to the possibility of potentially staying on in the future. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I broke down in the car. I, 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 I was, cr- I was crying. I, I phoned a mentor of mine and, you know, he, he walked me through it and said, Hey, you know, you made the decision. Now you got to move forward and you don't know for sure if it's going to work out and you know, if things are going to work out, but you've made the decision. Now it's time to move forward. And, um, but yeah, I was, uh, and, and I don't cry often, but that was, that was a time where all these emotions came out and, and, and even I, I, I was supposed to speak. So, you know, there was, um, the CEO of, of the, the main company, Daryl and I, and, 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 and I, I, I went into the boardroom. I told Daryl, I can't speak. I'm like, I, I am not in, in a place to speak right now. Like I, I know we made the decision and I'm, I'm moving forward and you know, he knows me when I make a decision, I follow through with it. And, and, um, and he was a little bit like, you know, come on, you gotta, you know, make sure people know it's okay. I'm like, I'm like, you want me up here crying? Like, and, and we kind of laughed a little bit and, and so he's like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Um, he really wanted me to do it, but he's like, I'm going to do it, but you need to be the person involved in all the meetings with employees. So, um, he didn't, he wasn't involved in that. I was, so he's like, okay, I'll do this. And, you know, I can give the speech and why we did and everything. And, and you, 
Um, cause I had, you know, connections with employees and a lot of them I hired at that point. I was involved in the hiring process for, for I, almost all of them at that point. Um, so yeah, I sat down with HR and each person came through and then I answered kind of one-on-one questions and, and that started the next day. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was an emotional wreck and, uh, fortunately my wife came and our baby Lily was a few months old. Um, and, uh, yeah, I sat, sat on the side there with my, my wife and kid as, as we're, we're basically called everyone. We we're in this big warehouse. We had kind of a unique design, um, open concept, 10,000 square feet, like, you know, built walls in a warehouse and basically called everyone, you know, uh, up to, we had a ping pong table and we had a fun kind of culture pre COVID good atmosphere and culture fun and, um, called everyone up to the ping pong table, couch area TV and, and um, the CEO and, and Daryl gave uh, a great speech and I was just sitting there trying not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not alone. What was the highest moment you reached in the exit process? The highest moment in the exit process? Like go from fishing boat to today and call it, that's the exit process I'm, I'm referring to. Um... It's a great question, John. Um, the The highest moment, I think, you know, really was um, kind of because everything happens. It, it just happens so fast. Like the business was growing, you know, extremely fast and all through the earnout, and um, you know, eventually, um, actually, it kind of went from another one of my lower moments was saying goodbye to the team and. Let it, letting everyone know I was going. And that was another moment in my career where I lots of tears through the boardroom of me and my team and, and all that stuff. And, and so that was tough. And that was, this is just recently. Um, but then we all got together and had dinner and then we actually had everyone, you know, um, or or my, my key direct reports over, um, to, to our house and, 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 and just, going through and celebrating our successes, um, you know, and that, that was one of our values. And, and we did a lot of celebrating our successes pre COVID. And I don't think we were really great out of it during COVID. We we're just trying to just keep everyone healthy and keep the business growing. But, you know, I think a high moment for me was, you know, hearing feedback from the team about, you know, working for me and, and Loretta and, and Daryl and, you know, the impact that we had on them, that, that was definitely a high moment because I, some of the things that were even said, and I got cards from all the employees and reading those cards, like it was, it just, yeah, it just made me realize that, you know, we, we did have an impact in what we did. Um, we did treat people well. We obviously weren't perfect and we make mistakes, but, you know, we really tried our best to take care of people and make sure they felt, felt valued and respected and had opportunities to grow. And, so that was a high moment and then celebrating the successes, like being one of the, we were one of the fastest growing all industry companies in BC and, you know, BC based and one of the fastest growing companies, um, logistics companies in Canada. And, and so going through that and hearing the team talk about, you know, all the moments and the, the you know, the crazy things we were doing to keeping things going. Um, yeah, it just really hit me in my heart that, you know, we, we, we did build something great and um and and nobody can ever take that away from us what we were able to accomplish as a team 
And a lot of the key reports were with us really early on at the beginning. So just, you know, reflecting back with them, that, that was a high being like, you know, even though things have changed and are, are transitioning, um, we, we did, we, 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 we built a great company and, and, um, we had, we had a, we had a lot of, you know, a lot of struggles and, but a lot of successes and, um, everyone needs to be proud of what we built. And it wasn't just me and Loretta and Daryl, like anyone who, and, and we've won awards and things like that, but we always give credit to the team and there without it, without a doubt, it's not one, two, three people that builds a company and it's really a team. And, um, yeah, I was just happy to celebrate that with, with the team and actually all the key management team are continuing on and since That's you know we left they're moving up another level and things like that so yeah that that and was that, definitely and, a high and that's one thing that that a lot of entrepreneurs uh don't always think about is that when you know when you when you you leave and sell although that can be emotional and, and wrought with you know lots of challenges but when you leave it does open up a whole another rung on the career ladder for all those people you know behind you and so it creates great opportunities for them as well yes. so yes um what resources did you rely on to educate yourself about the exit process you've already been generous acknowledging built to sell which built is to sell kind. for sure yep yeah what else uh did you rely on was there a, a course a podcast an online tool a, yep. uh any anything that you sort of educated yourself about the process sure um i'll definitely be kind towards you john for sure the book at the beginning although reading the book at the beginning you know i actually just downloaded it again i want to listen to it again um <laughs> because you know reading all that you know and I, I was doing other deals i was i was in the mining industry so i was working on my own deals and things like that before i pivoted into logistics but um so i was involved in you know bigger deals in the mining industry and, and things like that but building up something a startup to that I, I i'd never done so um i think reading your book was helpful but i probably didn't retain a lot of it at that point um, but yeah, one of the, I'd say one of the big things listening to your, your podcast, I mentioned to that before we went on the air here. Uh, but love, I love this podcast. Like I love huh. hearing That's the stories about the entrepreneurs and the struggles and the, and, and then, yeah. So I think for that, to, to be totally honest with you, that really helped me get in a mindset of learning from the other entrepreneurs. And I, I think you're a great interv interviewer and the questions you ask really unlocked things and I love how you do it and sometimes you keep asking until they answer the question and, and and I felt I felt the way that you you did it really helped guys like me sit there and you did your best and obviously there's legal things in it that you know some people can't answer but it was really helpful I think you get great information from it so yeah to be honest with you, probably the biggest impact for sure was built to sell and Aside from that, I you know I, I read a lot of business books. I'm a very avid reader, um, uh, but mainly more so on like leadership and and biographies and things like that. But um, and, and then reading a lot of stuff online and and materials that different private equity companies and things would send us. But um, yeah, to be totally honest, and nothing to do with you interviewing me on the show, but probably the biggest thing that got me kind of mentally prepared through the journey was for sure your your podcast. Oh, that's, that's very generous of you to say. Thank you for that. Um, tell me you bought yourself a trophy. You and Loretta went out and and 
bought a farm or bought some super jacked up truck or something to celebrate (laughs) this uh, and commemorate this win. Please Uh, tell me. Yeah. You you know what we did? We actually, um, uh, we actually uh, went to Italy. Um, Uh, Good for you. So, um, you know, we we got to the place where it all started back to the place where it all started. It honestly was, that was part of it. Um, and uh yeah it was a it was a bucket list thing for us and and we wanted to also take my mom we took my mom and uh and and loretta's mom as well so we had both the moms we had our two kids uh my mom's italian um on on both her sides of the family but never been back to italy and so it was always like a, a dream of hers to go back so I, I took I took the family on a, a amazing vacation. You know we oh, you know we upgraded you know seats in the plane. We got you know a nice villa. I I really I just want to treat my my mom and my mother in law really well as well because yeah they were super supportive um, of Loretta and I through this whole journey and um, yeah so we went there and we seriously had the best time probably gained a, gained a few pounds and, and <laughs> from it but um yeah we just we really really had a, an awesome time and so that was kind of our trophy thing we didn't really buy anything major it was a trip for us experiences like you know loretta and i even know we're you know we, we've been successful we're self self-made um we're we, we try to be humble you know we try to you know, we, we're not flashy. We, you know, I'm from a small town. She's from a small town. She's raised on a farm. Like, you know, so we're, we really like, we, we really believe in experiences. Um, and, and we do some giving, you know, we do kids at risk and things like that. That that's a big, big part of our life. But the trip was amazing, John. It was, uh, oh, good for it you. was awesome. Yeah. Good for you. I'm sure your mom and your mother-in-law have very fond memories of that. Are very grateful. Yeah, uh, Josh, this has been awesome. I am I'm so grateful to you for sharing your story. So thank you. Uh, where where can people find you? I, I've got uh, uh, startms.com as the URL, but if people yep. want to reach out, or the, is LinkedIn the best bet, or what's what's best? Yeah, for sure on, on LinkedIn. That that's where I'm kind of most active. I don't have a personal website or anything, but you know so, some of the things I'm doing on there, you know, acquiring businesses, uh, investing in businesses. I'm really passionate about you know helping entrepreneurs um and and kind of go through things that i went through and how i can help so yeah linkedin for sure and um people want to add me i'm I'm happy to connect with them on linkedin that's awesome and we'll put your uh profile because there are a lot of josh davis's out there i'll put your specific profile in the show notes at builttocell.com so you can do that josh thanks for doing this yeah thanks a lot john I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation with Josh Davis. For show notes, including links to everything referenced in today's episode, along with definitions for some of the more technical terms referenced, go ahead and visit the episode page, which can be found at builttosell.com. If you've listened to this episode and you know of someone who would be an absolutely perfect guest for Built to Sell Radio, you can actually nominate them. You can head over to builttocell.com slash nominate, where there you can either nominate someone else or nominate yourself. Again, that is builttocell.com slash nominate. Quick note, if you aren't subscribed to the podcast at builttocell.com, I would highly encourage you to head over there and subscribe on our website for articles, updates, and so much more. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling the audio engineering and thank you to the entire community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. I'm Colin Morgan. Talk to you again next week. Mm -hmm.